We have shared much good news today about who God is and who we are in God's sight. The persistence and the faithfulness of God to chase after us. And how will we conduct our lives in response to this amazing good news? That is where we find ourselves today. If you turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 16, we're going to encounter a story that falls in the midst of a series of stories that in one way or another are unpacking the identity of Jesus and the work of Jesus in the world. And so our on-ramp is the feeding of a multitude, followed by uh, some of the religious leaders of the time confronting Jesus in the face of this miraculous work, asking for a sign. And if the sign is sufficient to their uh, needs, then they, of course, will follow him. He refuses to give one. And following this experience, Jesus takes his disciples north to Caesarea Philippi, a seat of symbolic Roman identity as well as pagan religious identity. And there, with all of that in the backdrop, he asks them, who do you say that I am? And we know Peter gives the answer. You are the Christ. And Jesus commends him for this. In fact, gives him the nickname that we continue to use. When we talk about him to this day, his given name was Simon, Shimon, but his nickname is Peter, Rocky. On this rock, says Jesus, I will build my church. Immediately after the story that we read today, Jesus will go on a mountain with a select few of his disciples, and there he will be transfigured before them. And in this mystical experience, as Jesus converses with Moses and with Elijah, a voice commends Jesus to those who have ears to hear that voice. This is my son. I'm very pleased with him. Listen to him. And in the middle of all this inspiration, we find a very challenging word. Maybe a sobering bit of ballast for our own ships if we ever feel like our faith is going to in some way just sort of float away. We are confronted with Peter. Matthew chapter 16, verses 21 through 28. Read, these way, read this way. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have your mind on the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? 
Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. Truly, I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. May God bless the reading and the hearing of the word today. We're going to travel east from Texas, Danny, to the great state of Georgia in honor of, uh, in honor of our students' return to college. I want to review a civil case, uh, Valdosta State University versus Davis. Uh, this was entered in the Court of Appeals in uh, August of 2020. And in this case, an appeals court dismissed a civil claim that a college student had made against the university who had fallen from her bunk bed. Uh, the basis of the lawsuit was that the institution had neglected to include a notice somewhere in the room concerning the risk and the danger of falling from a bunk bed. And the court held that the student who had slept in the bunk for three months without incident had equal knowledge that the lofted bed was raised off the ground and lacked guardrails before she fell. That is, She's been sleeping in it for three months. It didn't have rails all that time. She knew that. The judge's decision finally concluded with this phrase. Um, no danger is more commonly realized or risk appreciated than that of falling. We all fall down, says the judge. And we all know that we fall down. The evidence of that in my household this week. Uh, as we were walking, it was a really nice walk, wasn't it, Janelle, on the, on the American Tobacco Trail. One missed step, sort of catching the lip of that trail in the wrong way, and it was a trip to orthopedic urgent care, and now an untold number of weeks in a boot. You all know what it is to fall. And you know it's not so much the fall, really, is it? It's the landing. But as we land and come to a quick and sudden stop at the end of that fall, we know how vulnerable we are. How many times have you caught yourself, maybe even in the last week or two, just one misstep, one little piece of your household or something out in the world that's just out of place that causes you to stumble? If I'm the only one, then I'll own it. It happens to me all the time. And Peter, just as quickly as he has been acclaimed to be a rock of Jesus' church, is now identified as just such a thing, a stumbling block. Maybe that's something that we should hear in our lives as Christian disciples more often. No danger is more commonly realized or risk appreciated than that of falling. You're just as prone to falling as you are to standing tall because of our humanity and our fragility and our frailty. Peter teaches us something of a little lesson here, and if we have ears to hear it, I hope you'll take it in, that we can be rocks that become stumbling blocks awfully quickly. Someone tells you that you are their rock. It doesn't mean you get to then tell them how they will live their lives. J. 
Jesus wasn't first telling Peter that he was a rock in the sense that we might mean it today, that, that I lean on you, you are strong and steadfast for me. I think Jesus did value Peter as a companion on this journey, but Jesus is speaking more materially and more basically in a sense. He is identifying Peter as the stuff, the building material from which Jesus will build his church. And eventually Peter gets this. If you go all the way near the end of your Bible, in the first letter of Peter, chapter 2, he teaches the other disciples these, uh, these important truths. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ Jesus. You are the stuff out of which Jesus will build his church. But this is earlier in Peter's life with Jesus. And I think it's very possible that Peter heard Jesus' blessing and he wants to rise to that level of expectation. He hears Jesus' blessing and he knows what a rock should say and he knows what a rock should do. And so as he hears Jesus then very carefully, very conscientiously, and very purposefully tell him and the other disciples that suffering is coming. Peter feels like, as a rock, his job is to get Jesus out of that melancholy. God has declared you a Messiah. Act like it. Talk like a Messiah. You're not going to lose. What you're saying is the opposite of everything a Messiah should say and do. And Peter is just emphatically trying to negate everything that Jesus is saying out of his own feelings. If, if I were to translate the Greek here, I said, no way! Absolutely not, Jesus. That's not the way it goes. And Jesus responds with a different word entirely. In, in some translations, it says, it is necessary. If you watch The Mandalorian, this is the way. And so in one sense, you know, we can't really blame or look down on Peter for doing that. He cares about Jesus. And he doesn't want the awfulness that Jesus is talking about here to come to pass. That Jesus remains fearless and honest about what it is that will come. He will go to Jerusalem. He will suffer and he will be killed. And Jesus says that he will be raised. But he doesn't give an explanation of what that means. And even when that moment comes, the Scriptures tell us the disciples couldn't put it all together. Even after Easter, it was hard to understand in completeness what God was doing. Grief does that to us, by the way. In honor of Grief Share this week, as it resumes, how many people have I talked to, how many of you have been in that situation where no matter how long the on-ramp you may have had emotionally practically, relationally with a loved one with whom you have kept vigil. No matter how much time you've had to prepare to talk about the things that matter and to be earnest and honest in the face of all of that, when the time comes and that loved one breathes his or her last breath, do you feel shocked, surprised? Like you walked into your house and found out that it's been robbed. That's the way of it. 
We don't understand completely the finality of our ending, much less the promise of what Jesus is giving them in this new life. But Peter doesn't want to see Jesus suffer at all. And I think he also has another motivation entirely. He wants Jesus to win in a way that looks like winning. He wants the Messiah to win and for there to be no doubt about it. But sometimes what it looks like to win is a little challenging. The Burmese congregation that meets here on Sunday nights, every once in a while I'll stop through and there's a little child, he's about five, and he had a bunch of Pokemon cards one day and he sat down at the table and he started dealing. And I didn't know what we were playing, but he assured me that he would explain all the rules as we went along. And wouldn't you know it, every hand he won, Every single hand, he won. And, then, and when I looked like I was going to recede from the table, he'd let me, you know, I'd win one. And he'd pull me back. And we would keep playing. Sometimes when you don't even understand the rules, you don't know what it means to win at all. And Jesus is laying out an entirely counterintuitive way of winning. This one will suffer and be killed And that goes counter to all the hope and all the expectation that the people had cultivated for so long. They wanted that leader who would go directly to that place of power and drive out sin and drive out evil, not be tortured and killed. Even as Jesus says, on the third day He will be raised. They cannot comprehend. The listeners miss it. And Peter jumps in to redirect Jesus to the way a Messiah ought to be. Peter speaks not just for himself, but I think he speaks for all disciples. In many ways, he speaks for us. And Jesus puts his finger right on that sensitive spot. When we speak in that voice, when we try to correct and redirect and rework the life and the action in the words of Jesus, we're speaking out of a different sort of concern than the concern of heaven. We haven't set our minds, says Jesus, on divine things but instead on human things. Sometimes we need to be redirected in powerful ways back to grief, you grief share leaders. How many times have I talked to someone who is bereaved and they can't really seem to find their way in the world? They feel confused, they feel forgetful. Sometimes they forget to eat. They wear the same clothes for three days. And as I talk to them, I'll say, well, did you get up out of bed? Yes. Yes, I did. Winning. Did you remember to brush your teeth? Yes, you're winning at this thing called grief. Were you able to put one foot in front of the other and make your way through the day and in some way engage one other human? Well, yes, I did. You're winning. Sometimes surviving, I said, is success when the road is that hard. People need to hear these words of redirection and uh, renewed vigor so that they don't hold some sort of over-exaggerated sense of what should be the right way to accomplish, but instead with one foot in front of the other, simply make their way faithfully in the world. Whether they're grieving or not, Jesus is now calling on disciples to do the same thing. Rethink all of the definitions of success and glory and power and honor and and, and nobility 
to the things of heaven. Reset your mind. And your feet will follow. You know, the second little bit of redirection that Jesus does, not only talking about his own identity and the way God is going to go to work in the world, is for those who would follow him to understand that it's not a stroll through power, it's not a stroll through the halls of prestige. Sometimes, too often, we we want to somehow find our esteem among those we know. And I could tell a lot of Southern stories, I'll just tell one, um, about who do you know once on a a trip with a friend, a good friend of mine, uh, to visit some college students down in Southwest Virginia. As we went into a restaurant, um, Roy and I sat down to eat and, and we uh, had a great friendship. I should mention, by the way, Roy um, is an African-American man. And so the people, and he used to call me his son, his child. He called all the college students his children, my children. And so when the waitress came up and, and asked for our order, he said, my son will have you know, the chicken fried steak. Um, she looked at us kind of sideways. When it came time to pay, uh, Roy didn't have his wallet, didn't have any cash. It was kind of, they didn't take credit. It was a long time ago. It was the 90s. But he did have his checkbook. But he didn't have his ID. And the person at the, at the register asked, uh, uh, do you have any ID? No. And she thought for a minute. She said, who do you know? He said, well, I know the pastor at First Baptist Church and named the name of it. Okay, we'll take your check. Who do you know? We live our lives that way sometimes, trying to cozy up to power and influence in ways that Jesus is calling us instead of on an upward trajectory, on something of a downward trajectory. The Pharisees and the Sadducees had asked for a sign at the beginning of chapter 16, and he simply wouldn't give them one. He said, instead... You get behind me, you'll need to deny yourself. And Danny gave a great definition. Deny yourself and take up your cross and come after me. Sometimes as believers, we do this rather gladly. And we let go of those things that aren't too dear to us. We'll serve on a difficult or boring church committee. We'll say we're bearing our cross. We'll give as much as we think is financially prudent and hope it doesn't put a dent in our lifestyle and say we're bearing our cross. We help out people even if they annoy us. And we say we're bearing our cross. We come to worship with only one working screen in the front and we say, oh, you know, it's our cross to bear. We're getting this fixed, by the way. But Jesus is plunging us so much deeper than that. To take up your cross, to deny yourself, not to safeguard yourself. This is a different call entirely. The people of Jesus' day knew what a cross was and knew the soul and body-crushing, life-crushing experience of them. And the thought of carrying a cross for your whole life was more than they could imagine for themselves. In the end, many of them did. We must never forget that. As they followed the Messiah, they carried a cross. 
but for most of us, it's more of a metaphorical idea. It is a call to deny ourselves, to die to the process. And as we do, we're going to be challenged by the good news that follows. That if we follow Jesus and if we are serious about bearing certain crosses to lose hold of our lives and our lifestyle, if not our life, if we set our minds on those things that are above, we might be amazed at the transformation, not only in our lives, but in the transformation of the world around us. But when it comes down to it, at the end of the day, in all of our weakness, in all of our bent to sinning, as the hymn said, we cannot do it alone. It is Jesus' death and Jesus' cross that enables us to do what we cannot. And God's power ultimately is going to be revealed not in our walks through the halls of power, but through dusty alleys and in the weakness and misery of this life. That is where Jesus walked. And if we get behind him and we follow him, that is where we might just find ourselves. Years ago in a touring choir, we sang a song, and the title of the song is, I Walk Today Where Jesus Walked. I'm not going to sing it, but I do want to read the text. I walk today where Jesus walks down the crowded streets where the children have no place to play where the homeless wait for life to take them in. Oh, I walked with Jesus there today. I saw the Lord behind the eyes of the broken men, and I felt his wounded hand reach out as the careless traffic sped along the other side. I saw Jesus walk the streets today, where the least of all find no place to turn, and they fall without a name. Jesus walks with those the hungry, and the lost, offering water from a cup and bread, the bread of life, the living stream where teeming millions cross to find that God, yes, God's own self walks there. Get behind Jesus. That's what he says. In one way or another, Jesus is so committed on to this journey that he is walking for God, everyone will find their place behind him. And if you are a stumbling block, you might be left behind. But if you take up your cross, deny yourself, and follow him, then you will find that something amazing is happening. Just like Peter who is no rock but a stumbling block without Jesus. With Jesus, Peter is that faithful rock that's building out that space where God's will on earth is done as it is in heaven. That place we call the church. With Him, we are not powerless to deny ourselves any longer. With Him, we are able to bear all that He and life may give us Lord, I cannot, you say. I just cannot. And that's the perfect place to be. Because that's when you hear Jesus say, yes, thank you for acknowledging that. With me, through you, I can.
I can do all things through him who strengthens me, said the Apostle Paul. What about you? As we come to this time of reflection and response, it is an invitation for all of you, not only to open your hands and your hearts and to share generously with the mission of this church through your financial gifts, but much, much more deeply to look into your own life and to examine yourself and ask, in what ways is my life in need of being refitted for this purpose that Jesus has called me to? In what ways do I need to reorient to the things of heaven in Jesus Christ so that I am no longer a stumbling block to that mission, but instead a faithful rock out of which Jesus will build something beautiful? If you've never taken that first step, or if you need to return to a promise you made a long time ago, wherever you find yourself, as Keith leads us in song, Consider your response as we sing our hymn of response at the conclusion. I'll be at the front to receive you. If there's a decision you need to share with this congregation about your own relationship with Jesus or a desire to join with this church and be a part of the mission and ministry, I'll be at the front to receive you. I'll proudly present you, and together we'll continue to walk as we follow Jesus together.